You're listening to the Simple Living Made Simple podcast, episode 14, Foraging Wild Plants. I am so excited to bring to you a really awesome guest. Her name is Kathy Lapsevic from Homespun Seasonal Living. I have been a really big fan of hers for quite some time, and uh, she covers all kinds of things from simple living, self-sufficiency, to everything that uh, really encapsulates a comfy, homemade, homegrown lifestyle. Uh, So I am so excited that she joined me today. Uh, We talk about a couple different things, specifically about foraging wild plants. And it's something that I am really interested in and just starting to learn myself. So let's get started. You're listening to the Simple Living Made Simple podcast. My name is Stephanie, and I'm a wife, mother of three, and the creator of the blog, Winging It on the Homestead, where I help modern mothers incorporate simple living and self-sufficiency skills and knowledge into their busy lives. My goal is to help you refocus your life towards what really matters, your family, as well as boost your confidence so you can start being more self-reliant and decrease your dependence on stores and commercial products. Join me as I share with you my appreciation for creating a homemade and homegrown life through gardening, food preservation, cooking from scratch, making your own products, all while keeping it all practical, intentional, and realistic. Hi guys, I am so excited for today's episode because I am here today with Kathy Lapsevic from Homespun Seasonal Living, and I have been a longtime follower and fan of her blog. Uh, she's so knowledgeable on all things seasonal and simple living, and I'm really blessed to actually be interviewing her today. Um, so thank you so much for joining me, Kathy. Well, I'm really excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe a little bit about your blog, what your expertise is, what you'd like sure. to teach, all that kind of stuff? So I, I do blog at homespunseasonalliving.com, and I like to write about Uh, seasonal and simple living and that is like a huge umbrella that encompasses a lot of things but the the main thing I try to do is encourage people to live a simple life whatever that means for them right I don't try to define that for anyone and then that's in harmony with the seasons the natural seasons of the earth so you know in spring we eat strawberries and in summer we eat watermelon and fall we eat pumpkin and you know those kinds of things and so I just try to encourage people to do that and so on the blog we talk about seasonal foods we talk about working with herbs we talk about getting outside into nature we talk about slowing down the pace of life so that we can really enjoy it and do what's important not life just flying by us which is a little um different than mainstream living, I think. It's not that I consciously am like, let's not (laughs) embrace all things commercial, but it really is a big part of simple living in that we just embrace what's most important to us. And that may or may not be what you see on television or on social media a lot of the time. And so I I try to encourage people to do that. I have been living a simple life. I've chosen a voluntarily simple, we used to call it voluntary simplicity. (laughs) Nowadays, I think it's more often called slow living. Um, But uh, it's not really to be confused with minimalism, although it often is confused or lumped into the same thing, but it's not always the same because you can live a simple life and not be a minimalist. And you can be a minimalist and not really embrace simple living because minimalism is really just about possessions. It doesn't necessarily mean anything else. So that's either here nor there. That's just kind mm-hmm. of a 
<laughs> a little pet peeve of mine. They all get lumped together. I, I agree with that. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it often, they often overlap, but they're not always the same. So um, that's, that's kind of it in a nutshell. We talk a lot about food and herbs and just living close to the earth. And that doesn't mean that you have to live in the woods because you can get close to the earth anywhere. If you live in the city, you can go to a park and it doesn't mean you have to even get out into the wild. You can just walk around your neighborhood. Nature is everywhere if we just know to look for it. Right. So would you say it's just like being more intentional with your time? And Absolutely. It's very much about just choosing what you want to do, what your priorities are, and no one can define those for you. And then just intentionally going after them every day. And it doesn't matter if you've been doing it for, you know, five minutes or five years or 50 years, we often have to just reset because life has a way of distracting us. And so we have to just constantly like decide with everything. Is this really living intentionally with my priorities or am I just letting life suck me into the, you know, the right. title? <laughs> now, would you say, I think a lot of it is based on our food. Food kind of seems to be like the home, you know, the counterpoint of everything, but is it just food or do you think there's a lot of other aspects to seasonal? I, I think there's a, a lot of other things about it, especially, um, okay, so I, I live in Northwest Montana. So light is um, really an interesting thing here with the seasons. And maybe that's not true for every locale, but I have incredibly long days in the summer and very short days, daylight hours. I'm talking about daylight hours. So obviously all days are 24 hours, <laughs> but the amount of hours I have are, is very short in winter, right? Like I might have eight hours in December, of actual light and probably even less um, wow. right around, you know, the, right around December 21st. So uh, I really noticed that light. And I also notice how everything I do changes with the seasons, right? So it, absolutely it is food. And that's probably the easiest thing for a lot of us to embrace because we can go to the farmer's market and we can see what is seasonal food for our area. Right. But there is this like, you know, kind of thing where like in summer we're probably outside more, you know, it, than we are in winter unless maybe you're really far in the south like you know deep florida south florida they probably go outside way more in the winter than they do in the summer because it's too hot in the summer so there really is this idea of seasonal living just embracing every part of it so you know are you drinking warm things because it's cold or are you drinking cold um cold things because it's hot are you getting prepared for the next season in that you're you know, saving things, or are you crafting more because it's dark outside and you don't really want to go outside, but it's a cozy, you know, with the lamp by the fire or whatever. So that is kind of a seasonal life. It really is the whole home should revolve around the seasons in one way or another. You know, I light candles, for instance, way more often in the fall and the winter than I do in the spring and the summer. We're still eating dinner, but it's just a lot brighter and we don't really feel the need for candles, right? Because we're, and we're also probably eating outside. Right. Makes sense. I kind of like to think about it too, is that like some of the things that duties or you have responsibilities you have per season are kind of more like the stuff you do in the winter versus the outdoor duties you have in the summer. You know, if you can kind of work with it in a cycle, like a cyclical type thing, then right. it's not so overwhelming, right? You don't have to do everything in one season. So kind of just being able to map out everything. I don't know, to me works for my family. That's kind of how we, right. we work on it. Absolutely. And the other thing too, I think for a lot of us is that our responsibilities definitely change with the seasons. And so I, you know, I am a gardener. I have been a gardener my entire life. I mean, quite literally since I was a really small child. And so summer is for gardening, winter is for crafting. <laughs> so, you know, I don't craft in the summer. I don't have time. 
So, yeah. you know, it's those things. So we just have to decide. We have to follow that rhythm. I, think I, I really naturally sleep more in the winter too. And I think that's okay. It's okay. To yeah. Have and like, you don't have to feel guilty about like taking it easy and relaxing in the winter because you'll be plenty busy in the summer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the things that I really love on, on your blog and some of the content that you put out is your stuff on foraging. Um, something that I am by no means an expert. I know what, what stuff we have in our yard to a degree, but to, like, it's so expansive once you explore it. So um, can you explain what foraging is? Sure. So foraging really is just grabbing um, edible and or medicinal plants from the wild. So, and really it's just things that are uncultivated, things that you did not intentionally grow, right? So there's a garden and there's foraging. So foraging is the stuff that you didn't intentionally grow, but that you harvest to eat or use for medicinal purposes or body products or whatever. And, you know, I think almost everybody in the world, even like super city dwellers probably forage for berries, right? Like pretty commonly because they're easy to identify most of us know what's poisonous and what's not in terms of berries we almost all know what raspberries or blackberries look like it's easy to forage and eat we don't have to worry about you know poisoning our family so that you know foraging I, I try to teach and, and talk about foraging is is what's near and not what's exotic because when we start thinking about like super exotic mushrooms and kind of more on the rare side herbs it gets, it gets daunting and overwhelming. And while I do know how to identify some of those things, I absolutely don't know how to identify all of those things. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important to start with what's close to you and go from there. So start in the backyard, forage for the dandelions, forage for the clover, forage for whatever, you know, purslane and other things that just grow wild that you already know to identify and you already know aren't poisonous like dandelions, everybody knows dandelions aren't poisonous, but we don't necessarily know how to use them. So learn how to use them. That's like the best way to forage is just to pay attention, number one, to what you see growing and then try to identify it because identification is like the number one rule of foraging. If you're not sure of your identification, you're not 100 and like 1000% sure really of what it is and absolutely don't ingest it and sometimes don't even touch it. So because some plants will cause contact dermatitis like poison hemlock, if you touch it, you're gonna, you're gonna regret it. So let alone ingest it. So we wanna be really careful about identification. But once you're unsure of something, honeysuckle, for example, a lot of us have honeysuckle and know what it looks like. And most of us have probably pulled the little sepals out to, you know, to drink the nectar. Mm -hmm. So, you know, start with the really common things and start foraging them. And then when you're foraging those things, you'll start to identify other things that are around you and be able to probably find them. Of course, I recommend taking a class locally if you can, and if not, absolutely get, um, you know, a good guidebook for your particular area. Because what I have in Montana, you might not have in North Carolina or anywhere else, right? But you want to make sure that you identify, have a, a book that's for your area. Because some things look alike when they grow in different areas. They might look similar, but aren't the same. And, and there are apps for identification, but I've, tr I've tried a couple of them and I haven't loved them. That doesn't mean that I haven't obviously tried them all, but mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes they, the results aren't great. And so I'm not sure I, I trust them. But Right. That's been the idea is to kind of like to trust the source that you're using. Yeah. 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 
So um, if you want to get started foraging, like where, like you say, if you're in your backyard, if you don't have a backyard or you're not sure, like where else can you do you recommend to Absolutely. Any uh, city park that allow, or county park or state park that allows foraging to happen. You cannot forage in national parks, but you can forage in uh, national forest service lands. So there's a difference, right? Because <laughs> I live really close to Glacier National Park. I cannot forage within the borders of Glacier National Park, but just along the edge of the park is National Forest Land, Flathead National Forest, and I can forage there. So just make sure you know the rules. And I would also say, you know, you know, the backyards of friends and people that you know, and I am not shy. I'm actually quite introverted, but I'm not shy about asking people, like I, there was a plum tree down the street from me in somebody's yard and I had noticed, you know, I walked by it quite frequently and I noticed over the years that no one was really harvesting those plums. So I just went and knocked on the door one day. I was like, um, can I forage your plums? Uh, and I offered to make jam, give them some jam that yes. I was gonna make the plums. Cool. And they were like, absolutely, take whatever you want. So I feel like if you see something that you wanna forage, you know, be brave about it and just ask if you can. Yeah. From people always ask permission, never trespass. Um, so that's a, a good place to get started. And, and, you know, most city and county parks will let you forage too. In most locations, of course, always double check. And you want to, you know, I, I would say you want to forage from a place that hasn't been sprayed, right, with chemicals, herbicides, and mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And then pesticides. And also you don't want to forage too close to a, a very busy road because a runoff from cars, you know, you don't want to be, you don't yeah. want to be in gasoline or antifreeze. So at least 10 feet away from a road. Okay. Those are great, great, uh, instructions. Um, it's kind of like, if you see, and like you're saying with the, the plum tree, like people might not even realize what they have. So kind of educating them. That's really cool. Right. Yeah. So locally in Montana, we have a lot of, um, service berries. Sometimes they're, they're also called Saskatoon berries. Mm -hmm. um, they have a lot of those trees cause they're pretty landscaping trees. They flower early in the spring and they're pretty but a lot of people don't harvest the berries because people prefer the huckleberries, which are definitely sweeter, but you have to like go hiking in the woods for them. Huckleberries don't grow like in the neighborhood and that's great, but you know, don't ignore the stuff that's just right there. Right. I never do. So <laughs> um, do you ever like just see something as you're driving, like the plum tree and just pull over and. <laughs> yes, uh, I will. Absolutely. Sometimes. In fact, last summer, my husband and I had taken a little road trip down one side of the Flathead Lake where we live. Um, and I saw a ton of elderberry trees. Oh. Yeah. But we're, like we had a deadline, we had to meet somebody. Mm -hmm. And so we, and it was a, you know, like an hour drive. And so we couldn't really stop and look, but, and, but I was like, okay, I'm just going to remember all these places and come back. And <laughs> they were all on private land. And so I have to try to find the landowners, but I was just like, oh my gosh, all these elderberries and nobody's picking them. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I saw on your blog uh, that you have instructions on how to build what you call a foraging kit. Uh, can uh -huh. you kind of explain what that is? Sure. So I keep this in my car for those opportunities that I happen to see something and I just want to pull over and, and I have the time to pull over. Plus uh, lunch breaks if you're working, you know, and you can go for a walk on your lunch break. So a foraging kit for me is just quite literally a basket. Uh, any old basket will do or a bucket, you know, just something <laughs> you know, that you can carry. And I put a couple of little drawstring bags in there and a couple of, um, I just use canning jars, but any jar will work. Mm -hmm. You don't want to put like bear, soft berries in a cloth drawstring bag, so, you know, a little bit might get crushed. That makes just, sense, yeah. But you put them in a hard-sided jar. 
And then I usually keep like a pair of scissors in there, a Swiss army knife of some kind. And, you know, if you want to have gloves of some kind, that's always really good too. And that's really all I keep in mind. I have a foraging apron too. I have a pattern for a foraging apron on the blog. So it's just an apron with pockets. Yeah. So I started keeping that too, because it's a little easier than the basket to carry around. And then, you know, you can put the scissors in, in the pocket and the jars and whatever. Because I like to keep everything separate. I'm a little OCD about that. <laughs> like, foraging, I like to put like the honeysuckle in one little drawstring bag and the rose petals in another drawstring bag. Because in the end, I'm going to separate them anyway. However, I, I'm most likely going to separate them when I dehydrate them or use them. Right. So I want to keep them separate because it's easier to deal with later. That's really neat. That's really cool. Definitely. Uh, I never really thought to keep it in your car, but that's a great. Yeah. Cause you know, when you're driving along and yeah. you see something and you have time to stop, obviously sometimes we're driving somewhere and there's not time to stop, but right. You know, if you, you're driving somewhere and you do have time to stop, then you have the opportunity to just have it there in your car. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Um, what are some of your favorite like hidden plants and what do you do with them? <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't say hidden. I don't know that I have yeah. any that are hidden. I actually think the thing is that it's everything that's really obvious that we miss. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, I, I work I, like a day job, right? So um, right down the street from my office is this little park and it's mainly a baseball field, right? Like for little league baseball. But along the edges of the park, there's this wild space that's got all these trees and plants that everybody ignores. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but right there for the picking and there's like there's hawthorn there's of course dandelions and plantain and yarrow and oxide daisies and there's oregon grape but there's also service berries and there's also wild roses and there's an apple tree um that is really good and so i know it's all there and i just go pick it but everybody ignores it so i think that's the thing like i, I think the things that are most obvious the things I, I always pick every year or forage for is um, I definitely honeysuckle. In Montana, we have a, a native orange honeysuckle, and I always forage for that. Wild roses, both the flowers and the hips in the fall. I like the hips a lot. Um, you know, in Montana, we have a thing called, um, we have arrow leaf balsam, balsam root. Balsam root probably grows in more places than just here, and I usually have some of those. Like, I hate to say black-eyed Susans, but a lot of people call them black-eyed Susans, but I don't really think they look like black-eyed Susans, but close enough. Right. (laughs) That nerd is being picky. Um, Those are the things I pick the most. And of course, berries. I pick lots of berries. We have thimble berries in Montana that I really love. Um, They're kind of like a really small raspberry. Mm. And elderberries, whatever I can find, honestly. Clover, red clover, white clover. White clover grows in my yard really easily. Red clover does not, so I look for it. Right. Well, right now we have an abundance of white clover and an abundance of plantain. What, what do you do with, with plantain? So plantain is edible, but not exactly great eating. Not exactly enjoyable. Yeah. Okay. So I don't, but what plantain is really good at is use is a medicinal use in that it's really good in relieving itch. Oh, okay. So you can't, like if you get stung by something or bit by a bug, you can actually just take the leaves and chomp on it, like make a little little poultice and just put it right away on that and it will soothe that sting and whatever and I always just dehydrate it and add it to um, herbal oils and it's always part of my healing salves because it really does help with itch um 
Nice. My aunt, my aunt, several years, my aunt is in her uh, 80s and she um, had shingles several years ago. And she said that my healing salve was the only thing that helped with the itch. And I know it was the plantain. Wow. So plantain for sure. I would absolutely. Do you just take the leaves and dry them or you just, like you said, you just mush them up, I guess for a a salve. I just dehydrate the leaves whole. So when I dehydrate them, I just, you know, cut the leaves from the plant. And I just lay them out on my dehydrator trays, but, and then just let them dry naturally. I don't actually turn the dehydrator on. I just put them in the dehydrator and in a cup, I live in a very dry climate. So it, they dry within a couple of days, a humid climate, they might take a week, mm. but they're great. And then I make an herbal infused oil with it. That's really cool. I'm going to have to do that. Definitely. Cause we have a lot right now, like <laughs> planting, um, in my area. <laughs> you need right so I only I only do like um maybe a pint jar full yeah. of oil but it's nice to have and yeah. I, I always every year but I don't need gallon I don't personally need gallons of it. Well cool well thank you for that. You had you had talked a little bit about how to be sure that you're not eating something poisonous. Is there any telltale signs like of a poisonous or dangerous plant? There for different plants, right? Like um the difference between Queen Anne's Queensland lace and poison hemlock for instance are, there are very obvious signs which one is but not generally speaking no there's not nothing like that I think just really be comfortable with it and you know there's um there's a guy locally who does a a ton of foraging and um you know he's like a master forager like he knows everything and I happened to be talking to him one day because I had read that lupins the flower that some of them are edible but not all of them and he even said to me it's really hard to tell the difference, you know, and he's been foraging like really wild plants for like mm-hmm. 50 years and he's like, and I don't do it. So yeah. that was enough for me to be like, okay, we're not going to worry about trying to figure out which lupins are good to eat. Right. <laughs> so yeah. I think you know, the great thing about social media is that we do have a lot of Facebook groups and those kinds of things where you can actually find one that's in your local area. And there may be people who offer walks to, to help you learn mm-hmm things and help you identify stuff and I hate to always identify from a picture but some things are really easily identified from a picture and so right. if you post to those groups you might be able to get some help some things are less easy to identify by picture a, a lot of mushrooms are hard to identify by photo but right it's just really awesome how there's just like a whole just world of like stuff that people are ignoring and I noticed that as gardening, you know, as a gardener, picking up weeds, how, you know, I'm just starting to really focus on the weed, the weeds and the stuff that I would normally toss away, um, right. but trying to be more intentional on actually using some of those things. Yeah. You know, one of the things I try to make everyone feel like better about is that just because something is edible or is medicinal doesn't necessarily mean that it's useful to us personally. Right. Mm-hmm. So like Hawthorne is really medicinal, for example, for, it's really good for the heart. It's not a, it's not an herb that we need in my house. So I don't harm it. I can make jelly, I guess. But again, we're a household of two adults. There's only so much jelly. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, you know, I don't forage for that kind of thing. And I I know that plantain is edible, but it's not, I don't really particularly find it tasty. So I don't eat it, Mm -hmm. but I know that it's edible in case there ever comes a time, heaven forbid, where I really need to find something to eat. I know I eat plantain and I know I can eat purslane and I know I can eat other things like so you know and the other thing to know is that a lot of these things aren't very calorie dense so they're going to hold you over but they're not really going to be super energetic foods should you get lost in the woods but they'll at least keep you alive if you get lost in the woods I guess that's really cool 
I like that. So how can that, how can my audience find you? Okay. So I am at homespunseasonalliving.com and on social media, I'm generally homespun seasonal living, like on Instagram. And then I have a Facebook page that's also homespun seasonal living. And that's where you will find me most of the time. And, um, I, I try to just post encouraging things on social media and then the blog, you can sign up for my newsletter and newsletter comes a couple times a week. And it's generally, I think, full of encouraging, uplifting tips and tricks. All right. Well, Kathy, thank you so much for joining me today. We talked about so many great things. I think my audience can get so much of your knowledge and all the information you shared is so valuable. So thank you again for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Simple Living Made Simple podcast. I have a brand new guide out that is just perfect for this time of year. The Ultimate Fruit and Vegetable Seasonal Guide is now available and you can grab it for free at www.savemyveggies.com. If you are like me, you have thrown away produce that you just never got a chance to use. I used to do this all the time. Especially this time of year, as my harvest starts coming in, it can be difficult to properly store everything and make sure I either preserve it in time or use it up. That's why I created this guide. This guide has everything you need to stop wasting fruits and vegetables that you either grow yourself or purchase at the store. Learn how to properly store 25 plus fruits and vegetables to help them stay fresher longer. This guide also includes a month-by-month seasonal timeline so you know when to stock up on inexpensive and high-quality fruits and vegetables to save you time and money. Again, you can grab that free guide at www.savemyveggies.com. As always, if you have any questions, want gardening advice, or have a topic suggestion for the podcast, please email me at info at wingingitonthehomestead.com.